everybody, this is Jordan Pelfrey, and you're about to listen to a message on Romans 12, 14 through 16. This message is all about empathy and connecting with others, and how empathy fuels kingdom power and is actually the heart of God for his people. I hope this message is impactful for you. We are in Romans 12. We've been doing that all summer. So if you want to flip open to Romans 12, uh, we'll get to that in a minute. minute. We're about halfway through uh, this chapter. Um, But before we get to uh, the the passage I'm going to talk about today, I want to kind of go back to something that I believe Van said a couple weeks ago. And it's this profound thought that generations need to know and understand. And that's whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you always ask, What is that there for? And therefore is a connecting phrase. So the beginning of 12 starts with, the first word is therefore. So that should immediately go off in our mind to think, okay, we need to know what happened at the end of 11 to know what he's talking about in 12. And so going back to the end of chapter 11, there are two things that I really want to highlight that Paul, the author of Romans, talks about. And the first thing He talks about the wisdom and the knowledge of God. Talks about um, how unattainable it is for us to understand and comprehend the mind of God. Uh, I think to sum it up, he says, who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? And he's he's quoting an Old Testament passage there. But, But he's kind of establishing God is so big, he's so smart, he's so wise, who can really understand it? And then the last thing he says before he goes into chapter 12, he says, for from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. So this is all about the mind of God and how worthy he is of all glory. And so then we should expect that in chapter 12, it should, since there's a therefore, it's connecting this thought we should recognize that there's going to be something in here about God being worthy of all glory and the mind of God. And I think that is exactly what happens. Um, It says, therefore, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Uh, And and this is your spiritual service of worship. So what I believe it's saying is that in light of how worthy God is of all glory, he deserves our entire lives offered to him as a sacrifice that anything we do in our lives should be towards the glory and for the glory of God. And then he says, and renew your mind so that you may be able to discern the will of God. I'm pretty sure the will of God is in the mind of God. So only God knows what he wants. That's what his will is. His will is what he wants to happen on the earth. And so it says, even though in 11 it says, who can understand the, the mind of God in 12, it says that we have to renew our minds so that we can understand the mind of God, which is interesting. And I think Paul uh, talks about this in another area of the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 2, this is what he says. Uh, This is 2, 15 and 16. It says, the person with the Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit, makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. And so just a What he's saying is that 
when you're in Christ and, you, and the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, it's no longer just your human nature that's thinking and making decisions, but it's actually influenced by the Spirit of God. So the Holy Spirit is somehow involved in our, our decision-making and our thinking. Then he quotes the same passage where he says, for who has known the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And the NLT, I think, uh, makes it pretty clear where it says, but we understand these things because we have the mind of Christ. So there's something about us being able to discern the will of God and understand the mind of God because we have Christ's mind and because the Holy Spirit is involved in our lives. And so to kind of wrap this thought up, what I believe uh, Paul is kind of setting up here is that we, we need the Holy Spirit to renew our minds so that our thinking comes more into line, more, more aligned with the mind of Christ that we already have. So we already have the mind of Christ, but our thinking doesn't always line up that way. And it takes mind renewal so that all of our thinking lines up with how God thinks. And so the rest of chapter 12 is actually all about how to live as a living sacrifice for the glory of God and what a renewed mind looks like. So everything in chapter 12 is basically an inside look to Jesus' thinking. Thank you. And of course, this all takes the power of the Holy Spirit because I think the interesting thing about um, every, every principle that we've, we've talked about in chapter 12 we might do some of them naturally, but there's no way we're doing everything all the time the way that it says to do them. And, and I think the point isn't that, well, Paul's just hoping that we're going to do this a little bit better, but this is what a fully renewed mind looks like. And this is what it looks like to, to, to live that way, to do these things always. Um, and so that's where the, the Holy Spirit comes in to empower us to do that. So we... Today, we're going to spend time in three verses, uh, 14 through 16 in Romans 12. And uh, here's what they say. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. When I got this passage about a month ago, I was assigned this. I read it. I was so excited. I was getting a chance to preach, and I read it, and I was really bummed that this is the passage I had to do, because it sounds kind of boring. And I thought, that's easy. Rejoice with people who are, be happy for people when they're happy, and be sad with them when they're sad. But then God kind of was speaking uh, to me through this passage. He's like, you're actually really bad at this. And so it's actually been like a really good uh, month or so of chewing on this and learning a lot. And, and my hope is that it's not just me that's bad at it so we can all grow together. Otherwise, I might, I'll just go home and listen to this message again and it's for me. But what I think this passage is all about, I think it's about the heart of God. And I think it's, it's about how we relate to each other and it's about connection. In verse 14, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this one. I'm going to spend a lot more time on 15 and 16. Um, but I'm just going to kind of break down each verse. Here's, here's how it goes. Bless those who persecute you. Bless 
and do not curse. I think Paul's writing to a group of Christians who are being persecuted for their faith. Um, they're actually just years away from one of the greatest persecutions of the church right before it breaks out in, in Rome where um, probably people that hear these very words are going to be taken from their families. They're going to be imprisoned for no reason. They're going to be beaten and tortured and, and other really horrible things and some of them killed for their faith. And so this is a pretty radical statement. And, and you know, we might not be able to relate to this um, in terms of being persecuted for our faith. I think some of us can relate to this in terms of being persecuted for our race or for our culture. Um, But this is definitely, I mean, this happens here. This happens all over the world right now where people are are, are being um, persecuted. And and Paul's making a really, really radical statement. And I think what he's doing when he says, bless those who persecute you, I think He's not just saying only bless people who persecute you. I think he's saying a bar, setting a bar for how high our blessing needs to go. What he's saying is bless everyone, even up to the person who will take your life. And just, some, just what that might look like, um, it, it might look like serving them. It looks like praying for them. When, when confronted with persecution, whether it's you know the Facebook atheist or, or whatever, it's speak words of life, call out the gold in them, prophesy to them what's God doing in their life even if they can't see it, and, and to really bless them. <clears throat> That's all I'm going to say there. Moving on to uh, 15 and 16, it says this, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. I think most of the chapter to this point, we've seen kind of some like just bullet point, one-liner words of wisdom. And that's kind of what I thought, excuse me, that's what I thought this passage was until um, I really started to, you know, pray about it, read it more and study it. I I think that... These are actually, this is one big connected thought. The four, or 15 and 16, or I think they're all very connected. And here's what I think it's all about. I think it's all about empathy. These two verses, and honestly, maybe even a little bit the first one, are, are, are all about empathy and how we connect with people. And so empathy is kind of a big word. I... I'm preaching a message about it, and I still couldn't give you like a really good dictionary definition of what it means. Um, so there's this really great video from this really smart lady named Brene Brown that we're going to show in a second. And my wife showed this to me a few months ago, and I think it's been just one of the most impactful things that I've seen on YouTube in a long time. So I hope that, uh, I think this will really set the stage for where we're going for the rest of the message. So let's check this video out. So what is Empathy. And why is it very different than sympathy? Empathy fuels connection. Sympathy drives disconnection. Empathy, it's very interesting. Teresa Wiseman is a nursing scholar who studied professions, very diverse professions where empathy is relevant and came up with four qualities of empathy. Perspective taking, the ability to take the perspective of another person or, or recognize their perspective as their truth. Staying out of judgment. Not easy when you enjoy it as much as most of us do. (laughs) 
recognizing emotion in other people and then communicating that. Empathy is feeling with people. And to me, I always think of empathy as this kind of sacred space when someone's kind of in a deep hole and they shout out from the bottom and they say, I'm stuck, it's dark, I'm overwhelmed. And then we look and we say, hey, climb down. I know what it's like down here and you're not alone. Sympathy is, ooh, (laughs) it's bad, uh uh-huh. No, you want a sandwich? Um, Empathy is a choice and it's a vulnerable choice because in order to connect with you, I have to connect with something in myself that knows that feeling. Rarely, if ever, does an empathic response begin with at least. I had a, yeah. And we do it all the time because you know what? Someone just shared something with us that's incredibly painful and we're trying to silver lining it. I don't think that's a verb, but I'm using it as one. We're trying to put the silver lining around it. So I had a miscarriage. At least you know you can get pregnant. I think my marriage is falling apart. At least you have a marriage. (laughs) John's getting kicked out of school. At least Sarah is an A student. But one of the things we do sometimes in the face of very difficult conversations is we try to make things better. If I share something with you that's very difficult, I'd rather you say, I don't even know what to say right now. I'm just so glad you told me. Because the truth is, rarely can a response make something better. What makes something better is connection. Yeah, isn't that so good? I think I'm just going to let her come do the rest of the message and it'll be good. Uh, just some of the things that, uh, that she said in this video, I just kind of want to go back and highlight. Uh, one of the first things she said, empathy fuels connection. And so this is all about connecting with other people. Then she listed these four things that, that help us to empathize, or, or what empathy is. And it's, it's perspective taking. It's recognizing that that person's perspective is their reality. It's staying out of judgment. It's recognizing emotion, and then it's communicating that emotion back. So it's all about listening and really understanding what someone's experiencing. Then she says, empathy is feeling with people. And, uh, and she says, we have to choose to empathize with people. And then the last thing she said, rarely can a response make something better, but connection makes things better. I think the interesting thing about that video is that a lot of what she said is actually said in this passage. And I think that's one of my favorite things when, when people today kind of discover something that God was saying 2,000 years ago, and, um, and it's so powerful. And, and, and so here's, here are some of the areas where it's connected. She says, empathy is feeling with people. Well, that's what they're talking about in 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. She says you have to choose to empathize. And then she also talks about taking their perspective. Well, in the start of 16, it says be of the same mind toward one another. And what that actually means is that when you, when you look at the, uh, you know, the original text in, in Greek, and Van knows Greek, I don't know Greek, so Van told me this, that 
it's, it actually means that you're, you move into the same mindset. So you make a choice to step into their thinking. So we have to choose to do that. Um, and one thing I do want to say about empathy is that empathy is not holding and keeping others' emotions and mindsets. It's being able to step into them and, and making them feel heard and, and, and helping them uh, where they need help and connecting with them. But it's not hanging on to that. It's not staying in that space. It's coming back out in, into your mindset and, and your emotions. Um, but as I was preparing this message, a few things came to mind that, that tend to get in the way of us connecting with other people or, or empathizing with people. I think the first one that came to mind is comparison. We can't rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep if we're caught comparing ourselves to other people. In fact, comparison is one of the enemies to mind renewal. Comparison is saying that what God is doing in your life isn't as good as what he's doing in someone else's. And it's the, the longing for what's going on in someone else's life. Or, 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 or you're, you're taking the focus off that other person and, 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 and it's all about you. You can't rejoice with someone who's rejoicing when they have something that you think that you deserve. And you can't weep with someone who had it coming because they didn't do the things that you've done or you don't think that they deserve that in the first place. When I was in high school, I, I, I was a track runner and I, I was a sprinter. And one of the things they teach you about sprinting is that no matter what you hear next to you, you never turn your head to look over. You never look to see where you are in comparison to the rest of the, rest of the runners. You always keep your mind focused, your eyes focused on the finish line. Because every time you look out of your lane, you slow down. And I think, that's the, 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 I think there's a spiritual principle there. That every time you take your eyes off of what God's doing in your life to compare to what he's doing in someone else's, we slow down the things that God's doing in our lives because we ta we're taking our focus and putting it elsewhere and not on what God's doing in us. And that doesn't enable us to uh, rejoice with those who rejoice. And honestly, I'm horrible at this. Uh, most of the time, I can't keep my eyes in my own lane. I... Um, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm the youth pastor here, and so I, I love to hang out with other youth pastors and, and learn from them and see what God's doing in their ministries and, and doing in their lives. But so often when, you know, it's really easy to look at them when I'm doing something better than they are and be like, oh, yeah, you know what? That's really great. God's doing that in your ministry. That, that's amazing. But then when I look at a ministry that's in better shape than ours, that you know, maybe has more people or uh, that you know, they have better structure, they're a better preacher or whatever, it's, it's really hard for me to be like, hmm, I really want to learn from you. And it's more like, God, why aren't you doing that in me? And I can't be excited about what God's doing in them. And, it, and it's just not good. <clears throat> I think uh, kind of a sub point of that one is that when we make it all about us, we can't connect with other people. Um, recently, there was, a, there was a student in our ministry who was, uh, she just graduated, and she was supposed to uh, do an internship with us. She was going to kind of come be the student ministry worship leader for the next year, and I was really excited about it, <clears throat> and, <coughs> excuse me, we sat down to talk about it, and she said, well, <clears throat> I actually feel like God's telling me to go to Bethel for a year, and I was so bummed. 
because I was so excited for this girl is so gifted. And and instead of being excited about what God was calling her to and excited and and rejoicing with her about the, the new things that she was stepping into, for months, I've made it all about me. Like, are you sure you're called there? Don't you want to stay here? Your family's here. Your friends are here. And like, I, I, I unnecessarily made it all about me and made it harder for her to step into this. Um, and, and I apologized to her, and it was great. But yeah, don't make it all about you, like me. The third thing is presumption. And this is actually what the rest of verse 16 is about, in my opinion. And when I say presumption, I mean we often presume that we have the wisdom or answer needed in a given situation. But to throw it back to the video, what Brene says, rarely does a response make something better. And I'd say that when we insert our wisdom or answers, often we make things worse. Um, I spent some time uh, this week uh, working with Van on this message, and um, what we kind of came to a conclusion about, more so him because he reads Greek and I don't, is that this verse is actually really hard to translate. Verse 16 is really hard to translate. And so what it says in English is, be of the same mind, do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly, do not be wise in your own estimation. Our, I think what our understanding has come to and, and the kind of the perspective I'm taking on this is that, like I said earlier, we have to move into the same mind. That's what that first part is. Be of the same mind. We have to choose to move into the same mindset as others. The next part, it says, um, do not be haughty in mind, or um, you might translate it, do not be high-minded, or do not be arrogant in mind. Then the next part, this is kind of where it get, got tricky, because just reading it in English, you think, it's talking all about emotions and mindsets and thinking. And then there's this one thing that says, but associate with the lowly. And it seems to be talking about people. And then it goes back to saying, don't be wise in your own estimation. So there's kind of this, it, it kind of steps off the path that, he, that Paul was talking about here. And so I got Van to look at it a little bit with me. I did some research into it. And in a lot of our Bibles, you might see this verse translated a number of different ways. And in some Bibles, it says it could be this or it could be this. And so um, that's kind of where that, that messy part comes into. But this is what um, I've kind of taken it to mean as I look in context to the rest of the verse, is that that word associated actually means uh, to lead away with or together. And so go together or carry on together. And then the word that's used for lowly is interchangeable with humble as well. So it's not just referring to a person who is low or a, um, or a, a, a poor person or, or whatever. It's, it can actually be referring to just humility. And so what I think all of this is saying is that don't see yourself as always having something to add. Just carry on together with the same mind in humility. And so... Um, that's exactly what it's talking about with being high-minded. Don't see yourself as always having something to insert, but rather humble yourself to moving into the same mindset as others. Um, and, and, and don't again, don't see yourself as, as wise, as having something to always solve the problem. 
And I think this is where the at least statements from the video come in. When someone has a problem, we feel this need to make it better. We, we feel like we have to say something um, or do something to make it better. And, and, and so we try to change their perspectives rather than taking their perspectives. That's what at leasting is. That's what Holly and I call it, at leasting. It's when, when someone says, oh, I, I had a miscarriage. That's bad, but at least you can get pregnant, right? It, it, it's, it's trying to make it better. And what I've noticed is I, I think not only does this, um, not only do we si- try to solve people's problems when they're down, but I think when people are really excited and, and happy about something, we tend to try to bring them into reality about the situation for whatever reason. We have this need to bring people into reality. I think the most, um, most recent example in my life, uh, when Holly was pregnant, people would often ask me, how do you feel like, what's, what's going on? And I'm, I was excited. I, you know, she, we had Cece on purpose, and I, I was pumped. If you know me, most of my life, I've been excited to be a dad. So this was like the fruition of, of like my life's ambition coming together. So I was pumped. I was ready to go. And I would share that with people. And then for whatever reason, many people would feel the need to say, oh, well, you know, newborns don't sleep very much. And uh, your life's going to be so different. You're not ready. Isn't that crazy? And it got to the point, because this wasn't like one or two people. This was almost any time I had talked to somebody about how I was feeling about having a baby. That it got to the point where I would jokingly say to Holly, next time someone asks me, I'm just going to say, I'm really nervous. I don't want to do it. Can we take it back? I'm not ready for this. Because then people would probably say, oh my gosh, it's amazing. Kids are a blessing. You're going to love it. And just for the record, Cece sleeps really good. And I actually feel very well rested. But, you know, I I think we see this all over the place. We see it when uh, young people get married. And and, and they say, you know, how are you guys feeling about the wedding? Oh, we're so excited. It's going to be great. This is everything we've always wanted. Wedding planning is going fabulously. We've had no hiccups. And then people are like, hmm. You know, marriage isn't just fun games and sex. You're going to fight a lot. The first year is really hard. And, and just as an aside, I'm not talking about the people that are like in your inner circle that are like speaking wisdom into your life when, when invited. I'm talking about just the general passerby that's like, oh, marriage is the worst. Um, some other places you might see it. Um, have you ever like left a job for a new place? And, you know, maybe you left like a really kind of toxic environment and you were really excited about this new opportunity and you, you have your interview and you're telling your friends, oh, it was so good. I, I, it seems like they have an amazing culture there. It, it's going to be great. And then they just kind of have to say, well, you know, every workplace has their problems. You know, it's not going to be as exciting as they made it sound in the interview. That's just, that's just a ploy to get you to work there. Um, Maybe uh, you've ever moved somewhere and you know, you're really excited about going, you're, you're sharing about that, and then someone just has to chime in, well, isn't that the place with the really high crime rate? 
or don't they have a lot of smog there? Isn't the housing market just ridiculous there? How are you going to afford that? Insert whatever negative information you want there. I think in ministry, in the ministry world just in general, uh, it seems we get this a lot around church planners. They'll, you know, I want to plan a church. Why aren't there enough churches? Right. I think empathy is so important, not only because it drives connection, but because it's one of the fuels for kingdom power. Empathy is the heart of God, and that is to know and experience the joys and pains of his people. I think God empathizes with us. I think Jesus is often motivated by empathy. Many times in the Gospels, we see that right before Jesus does something incredible, it says, moved with compassion. It might say something like, moved with compassion, he fed them. Moved with compassion, he taught them. Moved with compassion, he healed. And what I think that is, I think that's actually empathy. This, uh, this word compassion, it actually means to experience it in your gut. Because they, they believed that love and compassion were stored in your stomach. Because you know that, like, that kind of butterfly feeling or the, that pain you get in your stomach when, when, you, when you love something or, or you, you experience it. You have a feeling about it. And so every time it says that Jesus was moved with compassion, it means that he felt it so strongly that he physically experienced it in his gut. And I think one of my favorite examples of this is in Mark chapter 1. We're not going to have the verses on the screen, so if you want to write this down to read it later, do it. It's Mark chapter 1, verse 40 through 45. And what happens is this man with leprosy comes up to Jesus. And leprosy, um, it's like the skin disease. And, and I think my understanding is that uh, it might just be also a catch-all term for any kind of skin disease that, that was visible on the surface of your body. And, and the implication of a man with leprosy is not a good one. Because not only were you physically unwell, but it also had severe um, social and, and relational impact on you. When, when you had leprosy, it was the law that you not be around anybody so as to not spread it. You, you had to live outside the town. Um, your family just had to disown you. Um, people didn't touch you. People didn't talk to you. And so, and, and even to the point where anytime you were among people, you had to like point out specifically that you had leprosy. You had to point out, I'm sick, I'm unclean, and people would move away from you. And so this man, full of that experience, breaks all the rules because he, he comes to Jesus, right? He's not supposed to do that. He doesn't announce, I'm here. He comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, if you're willing, you can heal me. And then it says, Jesus slid away in disgust. That was funny. <laughs> Actually, it says, Moved with compassion. And when it says moved with compassion, what I believe is happening, Jesus looks at this man who just broke every rule to come to him 
and is standing right before him. He sees him and he's experiencing the loneliness and he's experiencing the pain. He's experiencing the isolation. And it it says, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be healed. I think the healing process for this man was so much greater than just Jesus releasing the power of God to heal his body. I think that it was the compassion and the connection and the empathy that Jesus was feeling for this man that led him to touch him, to, to, to give him the first physical contact that he'd had in who knows how long, and to acknowledge that he had talked to him and say, I am willing, and then to release the healing of heaven over him. Empathy recognizes and does what a person needs in that moment. When, uh, when we came home from having baby Cece, there were you know, a number of people that came to visit and you know, wanted to hold her because she's amazing and the cutest baby that's ever lived. And so if you haven't held her yet, I'm sorry. Um, you're missing out. But tons of people came over to hold her and, uh, and one of those people is, was a really close, is a really close friend with us, Ellie Thielen. And, and she's holding Cece and I, I started to tell her about um, kind of Holly's labor. And, you know, everybody wants to tell you that you're not gonna sleep very well when you have a newborn. But nobody tells you how powerless you feel as a husband just watching your wife in, in pain and that you're not able to do anything about it. And, and not only did, like it, it wasn't just a labor, it was a long labor. I think Holly started having contractions uh, like a, on Saturday morning, Sunday at like 3 a.m. She woke up and didn't sleep again for the next like 24 hours because they were so like constant and painful. Then we got to the hospital around 7 a.m., and we were there for, I mean, over, it was more than 24 hours later CC was born. It was 4 p.m. on Monday when, when we had CC. And, and not only that, but once it actually came time for the delivery, it took four hours, just a long time. And it got to the point where the nurse um, kind of pulled me aside and leaned over so Holly could hear and said, hey, we're not seeing much progress. I think it's time that we do some intervention to help this along. And uh, and so they they have these tools to help that. And uh, it was pretty quick, just, uh, you know, 20 or 30 seconds and boom, there was our amazing baby girl. Also, no one tells you that newborns are purple. Um, (laughs) Her fingers were like purple for a couple hours. Um, thought it was an alien. <laughs> but, you know, we have our, our amazing baby girl. And then as I'm telling Ellie this story, I told her about how, you know, when I, when I close my eyes, I can still see that. And I can hear the sounds of them preparing these tools to help pull Cece out. And it, and it sounds more like a medieval sword fight than the sounds that you expect to hear in a delivery room. And, 
And it was like, it was pretty traumatic. It hurt every time I thought about it. And I didn't know why. I just, it was, it was scary. And I'm telling Ellie all of this. And as I finish the story, while she's holding my baby, she, she looks at me and she says, Jordan, your girls are safe. And there are a million things she could have said in that moment. Jordan, at least she didn't have to get a C-section. You know, Jordan, so many dads experience that. Jordan, long labor, it happens. There have been way worse ones. At least your baby's here now. But what Ellie did was she heard my heart and she connected with me. And she spoke the words that I needed to hear. Jordan, your girls are safe. Excuse me. And I think that's the power of connection. Because I don't know if it happened right then, but I know that now when I close my eyes, I don't see that. I don't hear that. And when I say that I close my eyes, every time, for more than a blink, I would see and hear those sounds. And they're gone. Connection is healing. And I want to encourage you, it's so worth it to grow in empathy. It's an intentional choice that we have to make to connect and understand somebody. And I believe that connection is what empowers life change, not problem solving. What we need is connection and not someone to just solve all of our problems. So will you stand with me and let's just do some ministry as we end. Go ahead and close your eyes. You know the drill. You can keep your hands at your side. You can put them out. You can put them up. Whatever. Whatever does the trick for you. My eyes are open so I can see if you're cheating. Just come, Holy Spirit. Just come and speak to us right now. feel like God just wants us to direct our minds uh, to maybe some times where we could have better expressed the heart of God to people. He doesn't mean this to shame us, but he, he wants us to get better. He wants us to grow. So Lord, would you just show us those moments? And then something else I feel like he wants to do, he, he just, there's some of us that, that have had words spoken to us that in the moment we just didn't need to hear. That it, it, they were problem-solving words, not connecting words, and that that actually wounded us more than the actual moment. And I feel like the Lord just wants to replace that and just bring healing right now. So Lord, just come. If that's you, will you raise your hand right now? If someone around you has their hand up, will you just lay hands on them and just, just, just partner with what we're doing right now? Just come, Holy Spirit. And if you're around them and you feel like the Lord's speaking anything, just, uh, just start speaking the words that you hear God saying over them. Holy Spirit, come. Come.
God, we release your peace in this room and your healing. If you didn't get prayer, I, I want to encourage you to come up at the end of this and, uh, and get some prayer about that stuff. But God, we love you. Amen.